Welcome to another episode of the Belter Wire. My name is William Brown, Content Manager, and I am once again joined by Chef Michael Sullivan. In the last episode, we were taking more of a historical look at food and how, if done properly, the food that we prepare can tell any number of rich and interesting stories. Today we'll be discussing more modern restaurant trends, as well as providing some helpful tips for restaurant owners and operators to consider as they evaluate their costs, their efficiency, and their waste management. Chef Michael, thank you for joining me once again today. My pleasure, Bill. So, Michael, leading up to this podcast, you pointed out that culinarians rarely have the time to study why a particular cooking method or a particular ingredient is so popular or how it even became trendy in the first place. You know, we just know that the, the perception is that they need to adapt or potentially be left behind. For sure. And that this often plays a huge role in the contribution or even the dictation of their menus. So yes. what, what do you think about that? I think it is what it is. I, I think <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's like we discussed in, in the prior podcast, I think it is important to understand where we're coming from, to understand where we are, sure. and in some cases, why we are where we are. That makes sense. But yeah, as you'd mentioned, it's it's sometimes difficult for chefs to find time to do really anything aside from, from cook and concentrate on the business itself. Yeah, they're busy, you know, they're, they're trying to get people into the restaurant, get them in the seats and... It's true, yeah. but sometimes when you when you fail to analyze that business, uh, things can sneak up on you, and all of a sudden you get caught in a bad situation. Uh, there's no way to set or measure a trend uh, once that is identified as as a food trend. How does it become certifiably trendy? Yeah, who who makes it trendy? Right. Who, who says it's trendy? Right, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, most of the time, people that aren't in the industry dictate this, and sometimes it drives people that are in the industry absolutely mad. <laughs> um, and, and like any other trend, food trends tend to change often due to mainstream interaction. But is, is a trend different than a fad? Uh, does one have more staying power than the other? Uh, sure. I, I suppose you know, only time tells us exactly you know, what, what is truly valuable. Oftentimes, we look back like, you know, Hair in the 80s didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it <laughs> sure was fun at the time. And I think that food uh, is, is no exception to that rule. But I think it's also important to try to have fun while things are, are going on yeah. and, um, you know, and put your own personal spin on things, even though you might not necessarily agree with them. You've got to give the public what they want if try, you want to have a successful business. Try to adapt to it. Absolutely. Yeah, make the most of it, make the best of it. Yeah. Okay. But the things that I think really do stand uh, out uh, in today's current trend-concentrated food market are things like uh, plant-based foods, specialized food diets. You know, someone doesn't necessarily like the fact that they can't have gluten, but nonetheless, they, they want to go out and have the entertainment of the experience in a restaurant. So it's important for us to, number one, respect these things, mm -hmm. but number two, to consider them in the greater picture of what it is that we are offering to our customers. You know, it's interesting you bring up gluten. I, I myself am gluten Intolerant. Oh, really? I actually, I'm, I'm celiac, so it's not a choice. Sure. Very early on, I mean, I've had this, I've been dealing with this for probably close to 10 years now. And at the time when I was first diagnosed, there was very little options, right. uh, food options. And sure. those that were available were incredibly expensive. They still are. And the flavor was awful. It was sure. terrible. Now, 10 years, you know, 10 years along, it's I much better. Great options, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's much, much better. It's it's still very expensive. It's it's uh, it's something you have to factor in. Sure. No, it, it can be good. You can adhere to these guidelines and bob and weave in, a, in an elegant yeah. way right. and, and do things well. Right. I think that this is an important detail because what's happening with 
the relationship between the guest and the chef or the restaurateur who is sort of designing this experience tailored to <clears throat> that guest is that we're all on the, the journey together. We're, we're, we're doing this right. together. Right. Uh, and, and chefs, again, don't necessarily uh, anticipate or appreciate the fads that are going on, but they're involved in the process regardless of this. So, so we have to consider them. So I would say yeah. the same thing to a chef that is, is aggravated or frustrated that they have to adhere to dietary restrictions of, of many different people and varieties. Uh, I would say the same thing that I would say to you is that it's a blessing in disguise because it's making you look that much more closely at the food that oh, absolutely. You, you know, that you're eating or, or serving from yeah. in their case. Absolutely. You have to. Yeah. You've yeah. got to analyze it. But, you know, that, and that's just the way that the business goes too. again. You've got to keep your, your finger on the pulse and you've, you've, you've got to keep two steps ahead because all of a sudden, if you get too bogged down and, and get in the weeds, you're paying attention to all the wrong things yeah. and you get gobbled up and it's no yeah. good. Yeah. So I'm sure we can both agree that establishing an interesting selection of menu options, it's, it's got to be pretty important for a restaurant owner. No doubt. But I imagine those same restaurant owners and operators, that they're, they're also concerned with managing, controlling their, their food costs that are associated with running their, their business, their day-to-day business operations. You know, regardless if their current menu falls in the category of the new hotness or not, if it's a new trend or not, they still have to be aware the costs associated. Certainly. It's it's probably the most important thing. Uh, it's not necessarily the most important aspect of having fun in the industry, but being able to forecast appropriately year-round sales is absolutely critical. My answer to this, take notes, yeah. insane notes, meticulous notes on things, and try to consider, like a detective would, as broad of a view as you possibly can. Uh, imagine that even the, sp- the smallest detail that you might not otherwise be thinking of, it can be affecting your business. Reviewing past sales and using that da- data to better predict sales in upcoming weeks or months or years, again, extremely important. My answer to that, read your notes. Yeah. Don't just take them, but, but revisit them. Of course, this is difficult with the calendar year because you know the exact date is not always going to be you know translated into you know, your next sales day. A lot of restaurants are closed on Mondays. You're oh, not going to sure. do very well on that day yeah. or whatever else it is. But this comes back to you know understanding you know all of the things that are going on around you. A chef should be somebody who's listening to the news. A restaurateur should be somebody who is involved in social goings on around them. And if you don't pay attention to these things, they might be affecting you in ways that you are completely unaware. You, you talk about taking a lot of notes and referencing those notes and staying on top of them. Yep. Uh, what about in, uh, integrating technology into that? Uh, are there any uh, software packages, uh, apps that chefs are using that you're aware of that help them to navigate those those food costs? And, in, and, in such a tech-centric society, yeah. I am amazed at myself to say no. There aren't a ton of options That's out interesting. there. They yeah. exist, but uh, there's not a lot of competition in this field. And chefs are, you know, people like anybody else, especially if they are sort of up on, you know, current trends and, and trying to stay as, as uh, up to date as possible uh, in what's going on in the world around them. They're going to be tech savvy people. Yeah. So technology can really help us in that way. Yeah. Give it time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something will pop up in the next day Certainly. or two. <laughs> Certainly. Absolutely. Well, uh, so what else? What else can we talk about in terms of, you know, food costs and, and how it's so important to manage? Well, it's, it's important to manage because, well, your assets, your expenditures are your money. And if, you're, if it's going out and not coming back in, 
that is a major problem. If you've got food waste, you're throwing food in the garbage. And this is, uh, this is, this is a problem on a, a sort of epidemic level these days. So we're, we're starting to see a major, major shift in the industry where people are, number one, trying to be as eco-friendly as they possibly can be. Number two, making sure that they are not being wasteful and trying to decrease their carbon footprint, mm-hmm. not just as individuals, but as establishments or restaurants will do this, uh, but also uh, really trying to hone in on the idea of understanding that we, we have to be seeking sustainability in any way that we can. A chef cannot control their food costs, you know, 100 percent. A lot of times you get thrown a curveball. But basically, a chef that cannot control their food costs at all is a chef that does not have job security. Right. I mean, who would have seen 10 years ago that uh, there'd be a typhoon off the coast of Madagascar that would end up tripling the price of vanilla? But at the same time, you can definitely see that, you know, hey, maybe I'm wasting too much of this or that, or I could be getting, you know, a better price or a better product buying locally opposed to, you know, going with, you know, big food distributors for for everything that I go to, which is difficult because, you know, if you can go to one person for all of your ingredients or most of your ingredients, number one, you're making your own job and life easier because everything is is, is based there and and centralized. But uh, you're also trying to control your costs most of the time if you're buying in bulk you're getting a bigger a better deal uh the answer to this i would say is shopping around again analyzing adjusting absolutely you've got to adapt having options for sure for sure uh, but keep in mind seasonal changes. You know, holidays and community calendars uh, to forecast what's going on. This is this is going to help us. Again, going back to those notes, uh, eliminate eliminate menu items that aren't providing a solid return on investment with required ingredients. It's oftentimes more advantageous to uh, to just remove an item from a menu completely with the intentions of reintroducing it later than to tweak or change a dish that your customers may have come to know. Yeah, why force it? Exactly. Yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. So obviously cutting costs is pretty important and it should be top of mind of any restaurant owner or chef. Uh, what about efficiency, you know, and the idea of running an efficient kitchen? How important is that? That's got to that's got to play into their daily operations and identifying efficient ways of taking make improvements. Yeah, of course, keep in mind you're talking to a chef, uh, you know, take <laughs> workflow technique and maximizing efficiency is in my opinion one of the more entertaining sides of the job you know there, people talk a lot about the dance that chefs and cooks have yeah. in in the kitchen yeah. you know where it seems like we're, we're we're dancing around each other almost like synchronized swimmers but you know that stuff comes in time just like a lot of times when people will, will ask in, in the classes that we teach at the Belter Superstore, you know, how do you really get good at getting all of your dishes to come together at the same exact time? Hmm. And my answer is, well, you know, do it day in and day out for, you know, 10 plus years. You'll get there. Yeah, you get there. You, you, you sort of learn that. But it, it doesn't have to be that way. It, 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 things are sort of based on this concept of mise en place. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. So mise en place meaning things in place is a French phrase uh, in, in French culinary terms this is all your prep so if you're taking a look at a recipe and you see that there's two main sections like the first one is you know all your ingredients the quantifications of these ingredients teaspoon of this tablespoon of whatnot that would sort of be your mise en place and then the directions of what go in you know what you're going to do next yeah. is the technique that you're going to use to to execute you know the dish but mise en place happens to be you know this this is an interesting one to me. It happens to be the most commonly tattooed phrase on any chef's body. 
<laughs> you'll see a lot of like chef knives and whisks and know. stuff like that. Yeah, the whole you know. And and this is a neat one because mise en place is not just you know the ingredients and and, and quantification of of such, but it's a way of living your life to say you know I am ready for what comes next. I've yeah. got my mental mise en place in order, so to say. So um, I, I think that you know having that preparation time sitting down and thinking about what you're going to do before you do it yeah. is really really important and in a chef's world this can be very very difficult to do because we're we're fly by the seat of our pants sort of people that you know as much as we plan and have these ideas and we're trying to design our dishes and and be creative in the process we we want to just jump in there and get sure. our hands involved in the process and we very rarely slow down enough to say okay where should i be going where should i be taking this concept next yeah well, that's from a preparation point of view but mm-hmm. when i also think of a, a kitchen in a very busy or popular restaurant i, I think of confined spaces and you know behind the scenes right um, and how that could also affect efficiency 100 so I mean, if you if you are running a very popular restaurant and your kitchen is smaller, you're getting getting by. But are there any things that you can do to rearrange, to Always. redesign? Absolutely. I mean, what would you what would you say about that? Always keep your eye on on that kitchen. I mean, it, a chef's going to you're yeah. going to have your subordinates running around you, basically doing all the different tasks that they've already had and last minute things that you're going to be throwing at them. And while this is going on, I think it's really really important to be analyzing the efficiency of particular workstations. A lot of people will open a restaurant and think, okay, I've designed it this way. And that's it. You know, at least that part is done. And now I can start to concentrate on other things. I, uh, I disagree completely with that. I feel that the evolution of a kitchen in the way that it works, uh, in the flow that it takes to get that work done right. is a constant state of evolution. And if you, if you lose track of that, you're going to see bottlenecks and, and problems will present themselves. So Accidents again, it's, are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a situation of pay attention to it or it's going to come back to get you. Yeah, I can imagine. Sure. Uh, you, you, were, you started talking earlier in the, in the conversation about reducing waste as well. Yeah. And you, you started going on the path of, you know, eliminating your foot or reducing your, your overall footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the idea of, you know, the waste of food, right? I mean, yeah. uh, meals that are prepared that aren't eaten, meals or food that's kept in the background in the kitchen that is maybe not stored properly, and you've got waste in that area. Tantamount to sin, in my, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, you know, in the industry, you know, you see a lot of people that it, it's common to have a family meal for everybody, but not everybody wants to eat at 10 or 11 at night when, sure. when the restaurant closes down. Yeah. So that's why it's very important to take a proactive approach to this, because now it's not just about you know reducing that carbon footprint or trying to to mitigate food waste but it also is a statement of who you are and what you represent as an organization to the general public now i'm not saying that there's somebody rummaging through the garbage after our shifts to see you know that we're not throwing things out yeah but these you know the the truth will out and you tend to find uh, signs that a company is not necessarily paying close attention to the earth and the general focus of the general public yeah. when they're not. You yeah. know, it becomes apparent oftentimes. Right, right. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier about taking notes, right? For sure. Absolutely. You know, maintaining those notes, referring to those notes, what's working, what's not, to work and they reduce waste, work right. and they increase efficiency and make adjustments where needed when needed. 
Exactly. And, yeah. and sometimes you've got people going the route of, you know, using a company like Compost Crusader, which will come around and, and collect food waste for the sake of, of turning it into compost. Mm-hmm. And they're doing great things uh, in, in, in multiple cities. Or it could just be something as simple as really sticking to, to FIFO first in, first out. That, you know, if you're getting something in, make sure that you're using the last of what you had before, before yeah. you, you open that new one up. When you're in the hustle and bustle of daily operations, sometimes it's it's difficult to to do this ourselves, and even more difficult when you're making sure that you, you know your staff is doing that as well. Yeah, so I imagine this next subject might be a little bit more difficult to manage or identify, but just the idea of reducing overall energy that a restaurant is using. I'm sure that you know if you use too much energy, if if you're you're wastefully using energy, that's going to increase your overall bills. That's going to cost, you know, increase the cost to run the, the restaurant. But you know, what can a chef, what can a, a restaurant owner, what can they do to better manage the amount of energy that they're, they're using on a daily basis? There's a lot, I feel. And it's, it's one of the things that unfortunately falls, uh, falls by the wayside. We put it on the back burner as, as a priority. But you know, anything from using Energy Star equipment, which uses a fraction of the energy uh, that, that their competitors do, to just simple things like making sure that you're you know, turning the lights off yeah. uh, when, when it's necessary. Or if you've got a, a piece of equipment that is you know, running hot and it's next to a refrigeration unit, you know, you're, you're not maximizing the efficiency of this equipment and you've, you've got to treat it right. The other end of that is maintenance. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many people I have run into, uh, both when I was working you know, directly in F&B and then also here at, at Belter, people that are like, oh my goodness, my, you know, this piece of equipment went down last minute and I need a new one immediately. And it's, it's unfortunate that people get caught in these situations. We've all been there. It's going to happen. But there's usually some sort of an, an, some sort of an answer as to why this happened in the first place. Yeah. I'm happy that people are coming to us and you know, saying, hey, I, I need this thing today because we're oftentimes there to say, okay, we sure. have it. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And it's fine. Um, but you know, most of the time, if, if people are really caring for the equipment, it, it doesn't happen in the first place. But or they might have gotten the wrong piece of equipment. Maybe they didn't buy it at Belter. Or no, maybe yeah. they didn't have somebody come into the kitchen to say, okay, this piece of equipment needs to be used in this way. Here's how you maximize the efficiency. Here's how you care for it. And here's what you don't put it next to. Here's how you don't use it and, and all that stuff, which, yeah. you know, that, that would be unfortunate if someone didn't come to the right place to do that because they've got the resources all in one spot. That's, that's, a, that's a good point, though. So in terms of, just maintenance is that, I mean, I look at my car, right? It, right. Everybody's car should be maintained at you know, X amount of miles. You get your oil change every so often. Mm-hmm. Is kitchen equipment, should it be looked at the same way? Should, regardless if you think it needs it or not, should it be routinely maintained? Absolutely. Things need to be recharged. Filters need to be changed. It's very important to keep on a maintenance schedule and... I, I generally like to recommend that people assign this to one person in their establishment or in the kitchen to yeah. just make sure that we're keeping up on these things. You know, it's tough. Like, for instance, car is a great example. Uh, you know, you, you've got to have a uh, caliper change for your brakes yeah. when all that it really took was you staying, keeping up on getting those brake pads changed that would have prevented this in the first place. Right, right. I've seen it time and time again, and I have seen it cost establishments tens of thousands of dollars in these small mistakes. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And the other point I wanted to go back to was you were talking about proper training. 
you know, sure. after, after this, you know, some of this equipment is pretty big. It's very expensive. Right. So a lot going on. Uh, we were talking about technology earlier. Uh, some of these, these uh, kitchen equipment are integrating technology into it. So it is the expectation that there should be some formal training or hands-on training after it's been installed? Or are you seeing more restaurant owners and chefs just buying the equipment and selling it themselves and figuring it out? I think a lot of people do, yeah. unfortunately, but I, I think that the the people who are a little bit more savvy understand that you know a tutorial on maintenance moving forward is worth its weight in gold, and it's far too often that you'll you'll do something like you know say okay well this this task of you know uh, maintaining this deep fryer is you know Joe's job in the kitchen, right? And then you know someday Joe you know gets an offer for a great job in another state and he moves away, so uh, you know somebody else comes into Joe's spot that was not necessarily trained on what Joe did. Again, come back to the the job market being so competitive right now. Yeah. Like number one, finding great people is is a major concern for most uh, F&B establishments. But getting them actually trained to the, to the level where they can sort of work with autonomy and take care of our investments is another one. So what I would recommend and what I have recommended in many situations consulting for restaurants in the past is to have Joe write an SOP, get that mm -hmm. standard operating procedure down so that when he does leave, he may not have to necessarily train somebody, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but that he's got this sort of manual, this maintenance schedule, he knows what needs to be done, and that that's being communicated to the next person that's going to yeah. fill that spot. Once again, it goes back to taking notes. You got it. Keeping on top of them, making them available for the entire kitchen, the staff, so that one can refer to it. A necessary evil of the industry, yeah, for it's, sure. It's common sense, so. Yeah. Michael, thank you again for talking to me. Is there My anything pleasure. else that you wanted to bring up? Anything else you wanted to talk about? I would just like to point out how important I feel that it is to listen to our staff. Oh, not sure. only Yeah. Not only for the purpose of uh, having really good feedback. You know, our, our staff, we, we hired them for the purpose of, again, protecting our investment and performing to a particular skill. But also, they're on the front line. They know what's going on, and they're going to see details that we otherwise might not. Uh, the other side of this is making sure that those people know that they have a home and are valued in this way. There is a lot. There are a lot of options out there for people these days. Uh, I don't think that there are many people in this industry that feel that they've got nowhere to go. Right. And when you have a bad day, as is going to naturally happen occasionally in this industry, a lot of people will make that big jump uh, without realizing that they, they were such an integral part of the, de of the development of a, of a concept and the execution day by day of what that concept stands for in, in daily operations. So I do think it's important to give people the support that they need, make sure that they know that they are valued, uh, but also to continue training, to give them something that incentivizes them to stay there and grow with you as a company. It's not just about the tasks that they have to do, but what they represent and what their role is and making sure that they, they feel that they're they're being fulfilled by this while also fulfilling the needs of the business. Yeah, these are smart, talented people. They've got a no ton doubt. of experience and they should you know, they, they should feel the appreciation. I agree. And be able to contribute in more than just one or two ways. Yes, sir. Very good. Again, Michael, thank you very much for joining me today. Bill, the pleasure was mine. As a reminder, you can connect with us by visiting belter.com as well as reach out to us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Please consider subscribing to Belter Wire Podcast and be sure to share it with your friends and coworkers. Also, if you have the time and have enjoyed the content we've been providing up to now, give us a rating and let us know what you think of it so far.
In the next podcast, Chef Alenko and I will be concluding our food and restaurant discussion by talking through what the future may have in store and the opportunities you'll have to stay ahead of the curve. Until the next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Belter Wire podcast. Remember, you can visit us at belter.com for all of your restaurant supply, beverage, hospitality, janitorial, and licensed branding needs.